Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of You're Wrong with me, David Harsani, senior editor at The Federalist, and Molly Hemingway, editor-in-chief of The Federalist. How are you, Molly? I'm doing great. How are you doing, David? I'm doing excellent. Thank you. Better now being here with you. Um, (laughs) So this week, I'd like to talk about January 6th committee stuff, but just in general, the kind of what I think is just corrupt and if you, if you, and as you have written about quite often, the corrupt behavior in general, both the press, the institutions like the FBI, for instance, and, uh, and the politicians themselves. And I just thought I would start by talking about Merrick Garland, who, thank God, was not a Supreme Court justice, who this week said that the, the, um, the investigation into January 6th is the widest ranging investigation um, in the history of the FBI, right? Bigger than 9-11, that means, correct? And that I believe he will be pressured by political forces within the administration and outside of the administration to not only launch an investigation against Donald Trump, but in the end, probably charge him with some sort of criminality. Do do you think that that's likely? And what do you make of the things he said this week? I don't know what will happen. And one of the main problems I have in my life is an inability to imagine all the bad things that could happen because you really should be thinking through what your political opposition wants to do so that you can accurately strategize against it. It seems so insane to me that Merrick Garland and the Department of Justice would intentionally provoke, you know, essentially civil war by indicting or ramping up this already horrific political persecution of their main political opponents. And yet that is what it seems to be happening in terms of what they're signaling to their allies in the corporate press and what people, you know, in the increasingly small rump of the Democrat Party are pushing for. It's so imprudent. It is so unwise. It is so reckless. I can't imagine anyone with any brain. And I mean, whatever you say about Merrick Garland, even his political opponents say that he's got like something there that's worthwhile. So I can't imagine Anyone with any sense who's not just completely broken by Trump or the Democrat Party doing it. And yet that does seem to be what they're signaling. It's so horrific. I can't even process it fully. Well, I've been trying to think of of, of what charges would be leveled at the president, you know, um, or ex-president. Is it incitement? Because that is incredibly difficult to prove anyway. And I have heard nothing I mean, again, I just want to preface all this by saying I think that the president acted recklessly, really recklessly uh, during that time. And the way that he handled just rhetorically, the way he handled things was terrible, as well as the people around him. But there is nothing in what he said fully when you listen to things in full context that is incitement to riot. Certainly, there is no proof that there was any sort of intricate plan for a coup or any plan for a coup or any plan for violence or any plan for uh, to incite violence. In fact, the more I the more I listen to January 6th committee, the less I, I the more convinced I am that Trump that this was just a spontaneous, not exactly maybe spontaneous is the wrong word, but a spontaneous riot in, in, in essence, and that the president didn't know it was going to happen, obviously, or anything like that. So what are they going to charge him with? Is Hold it on. I, you, you also have to mention 
that in terms of what he actually said, he repeatedly talked about doing things peacefully. Right. That is and not that, what someone who's inciting a riot does. Right. And then the same people who, who take him very literally when he says something dismiss that that's not what he really meant. Well, you can't have it both ways, especially if you're going to have actual criminal proceedings. You can't. Then, of course, there is the so then the other the I, I saw an, I saw a piece. I don't know who wrote it, that the that the other thing that the that the DOJ would look into is how he misled people about the election. I, I don't even understand what that charge would be be about, considering that we literally had politicians misleading everyone about an election for four years. I don't know what kind of charge that would be. So do you have, what 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 will they I mean, other than so what I mean is that when you have these sort of very tenuous or very brittle um, legal when it becomes a legal matter, you have these ridiculous claims or ridiculous things to indict him on what and 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 probably he wouldn't be found guilty by any court of law. Um, doesn't that undermine well, their entire actually, case? Hold, hold yeah. on here. I mean, what they're talking about is actually charging him with something even worse and which is which is something that's almost never used in the history of the United States, but has begun to be used by this far-reaching political persecution of the J6 event. And that is seditious conspiracy. And you say he wouldn't be convicted. I, I assume that they would be charging him in a city that would literally like to murder Donald Trump, which is Washington, D.C. I think he could easily be convicted by even the most uh, you know, like even the best jury that a defense attorney could find in D.C., they would convict him no matter what the charge, no matter what the evidence, no matter anything. I mean, one of the big problems we have is that so many things are being heard in a place where you cannot get a free and fair trial if you're a Republican. Uh, that goes by a million for Donald Trump. This is why I mean, if I can't imagine doing something more designed to destroy the country. And we're talking about a political environment in which the current administration has removed any concept of borders, is destroying rule of law, is redefining reality. And even still, this to me would be just end of the republic type stuff. I know people in Washington, D.C. don't actually talk to or understand the rest of the country, but they don't realize how angry people are at the two standards of justice we're already experiencing. To throw a nuclear bomb on the fire is just trying to kill the country, which maybe that's what they want to do. But I'm just shocked that more people aren't pushing back much harder to warn people away. I mean, you say... And rightly so, that Donald Trump was imprudent and unwise in how he handled the post-election litigation and efforts to fight against what was a very um, corrupted election. And I agree. This is that times a billion. This is so just no concern for the country, no concern for our continuation, no concern for our institutions or a willful attempt to destroy everything. I, I just don't even see how they could they could charge him with seditious conspiracy. I just don't even literally see. A, I know people will be on Twitter mocking me for this comment, but I don't see it at all. I don't even see a comment where that could be where it could be construed as anything like seditious conspiracy. There is no act of, like there at least with the riders. There's acts of violence or, or not, you know whatever they whatever they've been charged. 
charged for, but there is nothing well, like that for the president at all. I mean, it would it's just mind blowing, mind boggling that they would do that. Yeah, there's also this issue that what we've been enduring thus far is a Stalinist show trial in terms of a committee with members appointed only by the ruling party to push the ruling party's message. There's no cross-examination when they have witnesses. One of the things I find hilarious about this is when people point out that only one party is asking, uh, appointed the members who are asking the questions, you'll get a typical response of, well, we're only hauling Republicans in front of this trial, show trial. So um, it's Republicans who are saying this. Well, leaving apart <laughs> that there should be Democrats if you were really concerned about how it was that our capital was so easily overrun, basically the first people you should be interviewing would be Nancy Pelosi and all the people in charge of security and how they let that happen. So the idea that we only have Republicans testifying is itself incriminating for these yeah. people. I mean, I. But, I oh, sorry. No, go but on. Also, you need due process. Like the people go, oh, these people are testifying under oath. Well, under oath isn't just about swearing to speak the truth. It's about having that be tested in some way. So someone gives a story and then the defense, you know, or the other side goes and says, well, what about this? And what about that? Nobody has been doing that. Under oath means nothing without cross-examination. You know, and it doesn't even mean that much, even with cross-examination sometimes, like Christine Blasey Ford was under oath. Does that mean that uh, Brett Kavanaugh is a serial gang rapist who should be in prison? Nope, it doesn't. So, well, I, I think it, it matters more in counter evidence or also in putting things into better perspective uh, context. You know, so you'll have quotes that are out of context. You'll have people who aren't, you know, who who give um, who give testimony and no one brings up their past comments, things like that. I mean, obviously it just, it lends fairness and, and it's due process. Even if, you know, we, we hear the same things we're hearing now, we'd hear more, which would, which would matter. For instance, we'd hear a lot more about why there wasn't security, which seemed enough security to stop this thing, which seems really important. I don't like calling it a Stalinist show trial, but I, I think it's a show trial, but I think we should, we should, you know, I mean, when you were convicted in a Stalinist show trial, you ended up in a in a shallow grave. So, I mean, I, this is probably a distraction from our conversation, but I think the way that we throw around Stalinist is is not prudent um, yeah. in general. Yeah. You disagree, probably, but I don't um, disagree with the criticism. I just it's hard to it's so un-American what we're yeah. experiencing. You know, we have good rules. We have good rules for uh, criminal trials, but we also have historically had a spirit of love of due process. That's and it's exactly that spirit right, yeah. that is being destroyed right now. And so it doesn't feel American. It feels Soviet to me. And yes, That's fair. I, I, I want yes, to, they haven't killed anyone yet, but you know, <laughs> it's, but even like, you know, you're seeing all these suicides of people who have been um, charged oh, way, way, way dramatically overcharged relative to all of other Americans who engage in political violence in their, you know, there's got to be something to convey the seriousness of. No, I, I, I completely agree with that point. In fact, I make it quite often on the First Amendment. We are we do not we are not fans of the First Amendment because it's listed first and someone wrote it down. We believe in the underlying fundamentals of that idea. And the same goes for due process. And we saw the lack of due process starting with not starting with Kavanaugh, but I think it was dramatically highlighted with with what they did to uh, Kavanaugh on those hearings. And it's just continued on that way with two sets of rules. And I just quickly wanted to mention one of the most 
obvious instances of this is Hillary Clinton, who should have been charged. In fact, Comey essentially says she had she did everything that was illegal and yet didn't charge her. Whereas now you're going to have Garland going after Trump so, in this way. It's just, you I know, actually, it's just that you can't it's it, you cannot continue in a society where there are two sets of rules. OK, that's what I, was say. I actually much as I don't cotton to Hillary Clinton, I understand the reluctance to charge a presidential candidate in the middle of a very hot campaign. I totally understand that. If that were in any way consistent with what happens if the FBI is engaged in investigations of Republicans, you know, that would be one thing. They're not. They have taken out, you know, who's the guy in Michigan that they charged as he was running for governor? They didn't just go after Trump in 2016. They invented or, you know, really stupidly, like in a way that a kindergartner shouldn't have, went along with a DNC dirty trick campaign to gin up this really dangerous lie that Donald Trump was a traitor who had colluded, was colluding with Russia to steal an election. They kept with that for years and they still haven't held people accountable. Something we talk about a lot on this podcast is how recent changes to the way humans live their everyday lives have caused all of these other downstream changes that are pretty major and that we don't actually think about that often. For instance, did you know that poor sleep can cause weight gain, mood issues, poor mental health, and lower productivity? Think about this. Sleeping less than six to seven hours per night is actually linked to reduced white blood cell count. And those white blood cells protect our body against illnesses and diseases. They fight viruses. They fight bacteria. And so so much more. I am one of those people that absolutely needs critical sleep. I need absolutely more sleep than most people probably do, but it's a huge difference. And we all know that because we all need it. Introducing Beam Dream. Beam is the world's most innovative functional wellness brand with unique products for everything from sleep to recovery. And today our listeners get a special discount available for Beam's sleep product, Dream Powder, their best-selling healthy hot cocoa. It contains natural sleep promoting premium ingredients, triple lab tested, no THC, and you wake up feeling refreshed, which in my opinion is just about the best feeling in the world. 98% of people surveyed fall asleep faster when taking Beam Dream and 99% of people experience better sleep quality. You just mix Beam Dream into hot water or milk, you stir it and you enjoy it before bedtime. Just taking the stuff out of the box. I took a look at it and said, this is awesome. You can find out why Forbes and New York Times are all talking about Beam and why it's trusted by the world's top business professionals and top athletes. Don't love it? You can get your money back guaranteed. For a limited time, get up to 35% off when you go to shopbeam.com slash federalist and use code federalist at checkout. That's shop. B-E-A-M dot com slash Federalist and use code Federalist for up to 35% off. And then we find out that the same guy, Brian Auten, who was involved in so much of the corruption regarding that, you know, the guy who didn't vet the dossier at all or so quickly realized the dossier was complete bunk and went with it anyway and used it in FISA, uh, filings and went after Carter Page, the same guy 
also went out of his way to kill very legitimate investigations uh, uh, looking into the Biden family corruption. This is, uh, it's just like, I try to be calm, but this is so massive. I can't even believe it. And it should be stressed all the time that it's not, to me, I know, you know, whatever you see on Twitter aside, it is not about Hunter Biden as much as it is about the potential. And there is already some evidence, at least, uh, you know, we don't, you know, there's some evidence that Joe Biden was part of the, part of that family business. He benefited with millions, millions from that business. And that seems something worthy of investigation, if not by some government agency, at least by the press. And you don't even have that. Not at all. And it's, it's not it's just, just corruption. Hunter, it's also, you know, the next big one would be James, who's the right. brother of Joe. Much, you know, his offices were raided by the FBI in the in the 2020 campaign time, and it was barely reported on. Uh, the investigation into that was like completely shut down for political reasons is what we're learning from these whistleblowers. And there are also many other family members. And it doesn't, the Biden family business doesn't even make sense without Joe Biden. It wouldn't exist in any way, shape or form. Hunter Biden is not someone you give money to unless his father is Joe Biden. He's not someone Russian oligarchs or other Eastern Bloc oligarchs or Ukrainian energy concerns or communist Chinese governmental connected businesses. The only reason they're giving this man money is because of who his father is. That is so obviously on its face, ripe for corruption, if not corrupt in and of itself. That- well, we also know he lied. I mean, he lied about not knowing what Hunter was up to. And he and we have witnesses who say, say that Biden was part of meetings where money was discussed. So, I mean, listen, I don't know if it's all true or not, um, but clearly you would have an investigation. I do love when, when people tell me, leftists tell me online that, you know, the a president's child is not, you know, someone you know, has nothing to oh. do with anything. We can't go after them like they didn't talk about Trump's all of Trump's kids constantly and all the time. I mean, you know, and Margo Cleveland, all the time. Margo Cleveland and I worked on a story that's on the site today um, about how three current or former Department of Justice officials, very high people, say that the Delaware office, which is supposed to be looking into Hunter Biden's um, corruption, is just in no way up to the task of handling it all. And one of the people that we talked to said that if any single one of the stories that have come out about the Bidens, you know, from the gun dumping story to the going to China on Air Force Two story to, um, you know, tax evasion or tax, if any single one of these stories had come out about a member of the Bush family or the Trump family, there would have been a special counsel put on it immediately. And yet here we are supposed to have the Delaware office looking into this. They're they're small. They're also politically compromised by virtue of where they are. Um, and it's a it's a thing. Well, I also get the sense, though, that it's possible that if Biden continues his poll numbers continue on this trajectory or, you know, he keeps just screwing everything up that you're going to have a push to um, to replace him in 2024. Mm-hmm. And then then perhaps the media will be more interested in these kinds of stories. Though that's a dangerous game to play for them because, 
what if he runs anyway and then has to deal with all this during the campaign it would distract from what what they you know what they want to talk about so i, I don't know if that will happen but there were there are Wait. sort of like a, a little there's a little more talk of hunter than there was before yeah do you Slightly. remember do you remember the first impeachment where donald trump was impeached for wanting ukraine to look into biden family corruption and what was said about that was that this was trump trying to take out his biggest political opponent and so he had to be impeached and i just find it really interesting that you have merrick garland being like yeah we're going after our biggest political opponent we're going to try and put him in prison and nobody is saying that biden or merrick garland you know needs to be impeached or that this is even bad <laughs> and you know that that it was so clear to these people when it was hunter biden the son of someone who might run for office uh versus what we're experiencing now if you're like me, you might be dreading looking at your 401k or IRA account balance lately. You're not alone. And we're hearing all of the experts say there's just no place to hide. But that's simply not true. The truth is you can build a financial bunker that grows and protects your money even during the scariest economic times. The Bank on Yourself Retirement Plan Alternative lets you escape the financial carnage and has never had a losing year in over 160 years. Whether you've been investing for years or you're just starting out, now is the time to bypass Wall Street and bank on yourself. Bank on Yourself lets you reach your financial goals and dreams without taking any unnecessary risks. You get guaranteed predictable growth and retirement income with no luck, skill, or guesswork needed. The strategy also lets you take a tax-free retirement income, which protects you from the coming tax tsunami. Unlike a government-controlled 401k, IRA or similar plan, you control the money in your plan, not the government. You can use the money for any purpose with no questions asked without interrupting the growth of your savings. This is the strategy famous businesses like McDonald's have used when no banker would lend them a dime, and almost anyone can do it. Plus, there's no volatility. Your plan doesn't go backward when the markets tumble. Both your principal and growth are protected. You can get a free report with all the details of how adding bank on yourself to your financial plan can help you take back control of your money. Just go to bankonyourself.com slash federalist. That's bankonyourself.com slash federalist. I think Biden's going to talk about it more, actually, because and put more pressure on Garland publicly, at least I'm sure behind the scenes. Yesterday, he mentioned something about you can't be pro-police and pro-insurrection. Have you ever is there any Republican politician who came out and is pro-insurrection? Because I have not heard a single person say they were for the rioting. What they did, like, for instance, that incredibly misleading Hawley uh, video that they put out where they have him fist pumping to the crowd, you know, making it look like he knew they were going to riot, you know, later, that sort of thing. But there's really um, no connection between those two things. And I don't think I've heard any politician praise insurrectionists. Oh, I've heard plenty of politicians praise insurrections. I haven't heard Republican politicians praise them. I heard Kamala Harris tweet out support for the insurrection in the summer of 2020. Joe Biden gave implicit, if not explicit support for the insurrection of 2020. That was where 
in a widespread and coordinated campaign from their voters, there were attacks on the White House, causing the president to have to be secured in a bunker while buildings and the Secret Service and police were violently attacked while churches were set on fire right outside the White House grounds. There was the months-long siege of the uh, federal courthouse in Portland. There were celebrations of the complete destruction of police buildings in Minneapolis. And Kamala Harris asked people to fund this insurrection in the form of bailing out any and all rioters who were arrested as part of that uh, Democrat insurrection that lasted for months that was designed toward ousting um, the the Republicans and was successful, by the way. And I think most Democrats actually went out of their way to support it. So you're I would just strongly disagree with you that you've never heard a politician support it. I haven't heard Republicans support insurrection, which is not surprising because they're very like law and ordery type people. But um, you, sound, you sound disappointed. <laughs> but um, I've definitely heard. I mean, it, it seems like a common thing for Democrats to support it. I mean, hey, Chuck Schumer called for an insurrection against the Supreme Court from the steps of the Supreme Court in the spring of 2020, I think it was, or was it before that, where he said that Gorsuch and Kavanaugh should be uh, dealt oh, with. Pay, pay the price, yeah. Yeah, there was, they were going to no, pay I, the I price. I think people who want to destroy the system, insurrectionists who want to destroy and delegitimize the court, um, who want to destroy the Senate, who want to destroy um, the system that we've lived under for so long are insurrectionists. And they're not always, you know, or they, you know, they're not always violent, but they do. They do um, talk in violent terms in a way. And in fact, I think that you see a lot of leftist violence. You see the the person showing up at, at Kavanaugh's house. You see the person attacking Zeldin, right, in um New York, New York, you see what's happening in a uh, uh, in a pregnancy pregnancy centers across the country is because I think um, increasingly the left dehumanizes their opponents. I mean, they talk about them as if they're Nazis and fascists. And frankly, if they were, violence would be OK. Right. I mean, if you're dealing with someone who wants to destroy your country and put you in bondage and hates women and is, uh, you know, and we're racist, then violence would be um, a rational response to that. So. Um, I think it's listen, I, I don't blame rhetoric for violence, but it's it's hard to not see a connection between the two right now. And I think it's pretty scary, actually. Yeah, I'm You're with me. I am. I am usually pretty calm about stuff, but it just feels very dangerous what we're seeing. And like the worse Democrat prospects are for November, the more I'm worried they're going to lash out and behave in very. Oh, yeah. Irresponsible fashion. The other day I was thinking, what happens if Trump runs and wins? Like, I can't even imagine the reaction from the media or or, or the left if he wins. They, they're constantly pretending democracy is, uh, you know, about to fall apart because they're not getting their way or because the, con- the, you know, the Constitution is followed by the Supreme Court. Can you imagine if he's president again? I just don't even think we can survive it. Oh, I can certainly imagine it. I think it's not, a, not just something that people should imagine. They should anticipate as in has a re- as a very real chance of happening and i think in an interesting way it's going to happen or it's likely to happen in part because of how people are acting 
everyone kind of remembers because it was only 18 months ago um, what it was like in the country in terms of their own personal, you know, economic situation, uh, what was happening in the world in terms of global peace breaking out, uh, whether they felt that problems that they'd been begging politicians of both parties to deal with for some time were finally beginning to be dealt with. And the comparison between having like this one politician who for his many faults and problems, you know, seemed to actually be dealing with the things that people are trying to deal with the things that people want to dealt with versus just the complete like rapid decline of the country in the last 18 months is, you know, people, people remember, people understand. Well, and also, I mean, anyone who runs is going to be worse than Trump. So all the things they said about Trump have to be in play now for DeSantis or whoever it would be, um, which sets up the same the so, same kind of hysteria. On that note, yeah. I was down at this sun, Sunshine Summit in Florida last weekend, which is a summit put on by the Republican Party of Florida. And I spoke down there on election integrity, which was just a great group of people really, really enjoyed the people who I met down there. Wait, why am I mentioning this? Oh, but it was interesting because the Republican Party of Florida, which is one of the more based parties, um, state party things going on right now, they they only invited reporters who had not shown themselves to be corrupt or biased. And so there were reporters there um, and they weren't all like, friendly reporters by any means, but they were not some of the worst offenders of the people who, you know, try to take things out of context and snippets here and there. And you saw then this week that there were a bunch of people who were writing about this like weird thing where certain Republicans aren't playing along with left leftist media. And I'm wondering what you think about this, like this very weird late thing where we're now seeing some Republicans are refusing to be treated like second class citizens. I have complicated views on it, actually. I'm, okay. I've always never. I, first of all, I've never understood more than these events or anything, but I've never understood why Republicans constantly leak things to left wing reporters and have these people might not know this, but even really sort of conservative senators, for instance, have really good relationships with the with the reporters they pretend to hate publicly, frankly. Right. So I never understood that. Um, so they should be leaking it to the Federalist or, or whatever conservative outlets. They just don't get as much attention, probably. So they don't do it. Um, as far as allowing people into events, I would uh, I, I understand the inclination not to do it. I've always felt like, you know, people say, don't go on CNN, don't go on MSNBC if you're a a, a Republican. But I feel like if you're really confident in your views and, and your principles, um, there's really no problem with doing that because you can answer any question they give you. The event thing is a little different only because you know that they're going to take out things out of context. And now with Twitter, they're going to take a small video of what you're saying out of context and smear you. And then it takes weeks or months to to try to correct that sort of thing. So I understand the inclination. I don't think it's healthy, but that's, I don't blame the Republican politician as much as I blame the, the media, which has, has lost all who we've in the, the public has lost all trust in because it's, yeah. it's well-earned. Now the, Corporate media are just complete and utter propagandists. Now, I did get a kick out of watching like Vanity Fair and these other, I think New York Magazine, some other people had 
these stories about how they couldn't believe that Republicans aren't letting the media destroy them anymore. And it's so fun to see them wake up to the reality of the bed that they've made for themselves. Like we spent decades totally treating these people like subhumans. And now some of them don't like it anymore and they're not letting us do it anymore. And it's just, it's, it's glorious to watch them wake up. Well, and they think they have a first amendment right to be at every event and hear everything. It doesn't work that way. I mean, just because you're a politician, you don't lose the right to speak to people without vanity fair there or CNN there. Um, I will, since you mentioned the corrupt media, um, I'd like to bring up another thing that sort of twines our discussion on media and also two sets of standards, which is this thing where the entire uh, media now, because the Biden administration ginned this up, is going to discuss what a recession really means. What does the word recession really mean? It's very opaque. It's vexing. The whole thing is weird. <laughs> like these are the words that you are. Economy is so weird. Um, but uh, and, uh, you know, it's very complicated, even though there are probably and I don't know, you know, we'll see on Friday, there will be two consecutive uh, quarters of negative growth. Wait, um, we don't know that for sure. I don't know, I mean, I know for the, sure. I know the predictions are that not only will there be two quarters of negative growth, but that this one will be even worse than the first one. So I understand that. But we, I was kind of wondering, what if they're doing this big what is a what is the meaning of is anyway and what is a recession in part to lure people into overstating things and then what if they get a good number is is that i'm i'm overthinking no, that, this, right i i thought of that myself and then i thought this is the most incompetent administration ever and i just don't think they're that smart but maybe um if that happens, I think it will just be happenstance, right? I think it'll just be an accident that it worked out for them. But maybe, I don't know. It doesn't really matter. What matters, I think, is that we have, again, two sets of rules. No one during the COVID recession had, had you know, we didn't have a big debate on what recession really means, even though that was a, a man-made, inorganic, government, you know, compelled recession, right? No one talked about all the complexities. Um, it's really not that complex. You know, the one thing that, you know, is that the unemployment rate is low, they keep bringing up. But the truth of the matter is that we have not even gained back the jobs or close to the jobs that we we lost during the COVID um, recession. And uh, so it is not great growth. There should be a there should have been a gigantic rebound because it wasn't, a, you know, it wasn't an organic recession. And it wasn't. And we don't I mean, we don't have that. So um, but I'm perfectly fine with calling it stagflation. I think that's a better better hmm. better name for this oh, also a yeah, very like opaque no... concept but you know we have in high inflation we have anemic no growth. growth and we don't really have a good job market you know they keep saying oh, all these job openings are out there well if people aren't taking them that is not a good sign that's a bad sign something bad is happening the housing market is cratering interest rates are going to go up i mean none of this is good and yet now we're going to pretend that we're not in the middle of a really bad economy and we are so it's another thing. We would never have had these debates if this was Bush or Trump or Romney or any Republican. We'd be talking oh, about it. Oh, it would have session. been the opposite. It would have been we are in the midst of the greatest depression a history has ever known. I That's was going to say when 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 Republicans have recession, it's called the Great Recession. <laughs> when when Democrats have it, we don't even know. Is it really a recession? Yeah, it's weird. What does it really mean? We don't know. 
All right, I know I've said this before, but I'll say it again. One of the reasons I'm in journalism is because I'm just relentlessly skeptical of absolutely everything, including those glowing MyPillow ads that we all see so much of. But my own skepticism personally was just gone immediately after trying MyPillow, which I really love. Did you know that MyPillow is also about more than just a fantastic pillow, though? Now MyPillow has given the same attention that they've given to those pillows I love so much to their new MyPillow Percal bedsheets. The sale of the year on those MyPillow Percal bedsheets is going on right now. The regular price for queen size sheets is $89.98, but now that's only $39.98 with your promo code. They're breathable, cool, and crisp. They're durable, built to last, machine washable for easy care, available in a variety of styles, colors, and sizes, and they also have a 60-day money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty. So go to MyPillow.com Federalist or call 800-794-8429 for deep discounts on the MyPillow per cal bed sheets. Queen size regular for the price of $89.98 are now on sale for only $39.98. Well, there you can take advantage of the buy one, get one sale on my pillows, towels, and more. Visit mypillow.com slash federalist or call 800 794 8429 today for the sale of the year on my pillow per cal bed sheets. Mypillow.com slash federalist or call 800 794 8429. So, I want to say that um, every year for school supplies, I take the kids to Walmart. And the reason why I love doing it is I just feel like I'm queen of the world and that I'm the most generous person. I tell the kids, you get whatever you want, you know, and then it, and then you check out and it's such a small amount of money. And they think that you are just being real generous that day. And I also pick up, you know, some household supplies, some wooden spoons or, you know, things like that. Um, it's a very fun annual, it's our annual trip to Walmart. We do one a year. And I did it this past weekend with the kids and it was so much more expensive than normal that it shocked me. And I can't imagine what people are dealing with if they actually have a ton of kids that they're preparing mm -hmm. for school shopping or, you know, clothing, et cetera. And I don't care what you call it. I do care that I'm a little nervous about how far our paychecks are going and we're not in a bad financial situation. And I think about all the people who are in a more paycheck to paycheck type situation oh. and how that feels every week. I think you listen to Washington, D.C. debate what it's called, and you just want to probably violently hurt all of them. I'm going to admit something right now. I don't really know what things cost. So like when I go to the store, <laughs> uh, if they charge me like $10 for a pencil, I just hand over my card. I don't really, it does David. not even, I'm, I'm being honest right now, it does not compute. You know, I just hand my card over. I'm not really even listening. I'm thinking about other <laughs> things usually. So I don't know what things cost, but I'm told by other people in this household that going to the supermarket is just, you know, just meat or bread. Everything is just really far more expensive. We're talking probably for, if you, let's say you have a big family and you're going to the supermarket, you're probably paying a hundred bucks more a week for, for groceries or something, right? That is, that matters. And, and I don't think people right are going to care what it's called or not called, but I think it's important to have that debate for us and what we do, because we can't constantly allow them to play by two sets of rules, to change the meaning of words, to, to, to throw away objective reality every time it doesn't work out for them. And, and this is just part of that law. You know, that's, it's a continuum of this stuff going from gender to economics to history that they, that they, that they engage in. So, you know, that's why I think it's important for us. 
Um, you want to talk about culture for a bit? Sure. Uh, I have a few recommends, but I don't have a ton. I'm okay. going to bring them up. I still haven't seen that movie or TV show, Japanese, maybe? <laughs> Your name. It's good. Your name. I'm going to check that out. I watched a show where I haven't seen the whole thing. It's called God's Favorite Idiot with Melissa hmm. McCarthy on Netflix. I think it's pretty bad. I just, so it's not really recommend. It's a do not <laughs> recommend. It's not funny. Um, it had a sort of a promising premise, but it didn't mm -hmm. really work for me. Another mm -hmm. show I watched was called Blackbird, and it is mm -hmm. on Apple Plus. I will not be able to tell you the name of the people who are in it, um, but it's pretty good. It's about a guy who is, uh, tries to, um, who goes into a jail cell with this, accused mass uh you know uh serial killer and has to try to uh, get a confession from him you know what i mean in jail so that was a pretty good show and then the last thing i have is i'm reading a book about the godfather the movie called mm. uh leave the gun take the cannolis or was it the, is opposite? It the godfather like trilogy or just the first one i think it's about well i know it's about the making of the first movie and sort of the life of Mario Puzo, which I have to say, I never knew this. He wrote The Godfather in the town where I lived on Long Island. He had a mm. house there. Yeah. And uh, it's an interesting book. I'm I'm into books about the making of, of movies. Does that make sense? Like, you know, sure. the, the industry behind it and things like that. So, so I do want to say that I didn't see The Godfather for a very long period of time. And then I was babysitting some friends, um, had a kid. I was babysitting. They were out late. And so I watched The Godfather at their house and I couldn't believe how good it was. And I couldn't believe how I hadn't seen it. And I went to church the next day and I was like, have you seen The Godfather? <laughs> and my have you now seen this husband, movie called The Godfather? <laughs> he just continues to make fun of me because I because I went around asking people just because I wanted to make sure they'd seen it because it was just so amazingly good. So, yeah, I watch it once a year. I made my kids watch it. Um, few hmm. times i watched the second one as well obviously i try to do it on one weekend i do never watch the third one i think i've only seen i haven't it once. seen the third one yet i would i would it, do that i believe that francis ford coppola recut it or like hmm. re-edited it edited it um and that is a better version but i just find it uh unnecessary right so i, I pretend it doesn't exist um so you have you been watching anything no, I've just been so busy and mm -hmm. traveling that I Florida. Have, I am, mm -hmm, but the I worst am going, state. Oh, I, I do. So Florida, I don't think I could live there because I'm not into humidity in any way, shape, or form. And already where I live is bad enough on that. Um, like the the oppressive heat and humidity, I don't think works for me as a Coloradan. But um, it is a beautiful state with where people all exude. Uh, a love of liberty and they all talk about it regardless of their political views and i did get a kick i was i was suffering from one of these flight delays that everybody else has experienced as well but we finally take off uh from fort lauderdale on our way back to dc and the pilot says you know the flight from the beautiful free state of florida to Washington, D.C. will be, you know, X number of hours and minutes. And it, you could just tell the disdain with that he was treating D.C. with versus the free <laughs> state of Florida. And it was, you know, there are lots of pretty, pretty ladies and 
handsome men and it's fun. I, 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 uh, theoretically I like Florida, but whenever I go there, I have a terrible time mostly because of the heat and traffic that I, uh, experience. And every time I'm there, I'm like, you know, Vermont or Maine would be a good place to live. You know, I'm always thinking about these really cold places because I just don't, I like Florida theoretically. I'm happy it exists. I'm happy people moving there and live there. Um, but I just don't like it when I'm there. I can't help it. And uh, I know there's a big f- fandom for Florida these days because of its politics, but I just, it's not for me. What really kills me and has always killed me is that the places I really enjoy and really like and really feel most at home at have terrible people in them. Right. So I loved growing, I love New York when, you know, I grew up there and I love the city. Uh, I actually think DC is an underrated city. It's a, it's a pretty fun place to be, but the people in, in DC are terrible. And, um, I had to move, you know, I moved away from there. I moved away from New York. I sort of like Denver, but also the people are pretty bad there too. Um, so I don't know. Just gonna live you think in the maybe you're the consistent thing. <laughs> it's every city and it's always bad. Maybe it's, there's, me. yeah. Cancel culture is coming to your bank and holding the wrong political views might soon leave you out in the cold. I'm Bill Walton. On the latest episode of The Bill Walton Show, Todd Zwicky, Paul Watkins, and I discuss what is already happening, how the Biden administration is already pursuing this agenda, and what we can do about it. This progressive culture offensive is relentless. It's coming for you, and you won't hear about this anywhere else. Follow The Bill Walton Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's this uh, Buddhist cone. Is that how you say it? Cohen? Cone? Yeah, the cone. About a traveler who arrives in a city and asks someone in the city what, or it arrives in a town and asks what the town is like. And the guy says, well, what was the last town you were in like? And he's like, oh, just awful. And the people are horrible and nobody got along and blah, blah. blah. And he's like, you'll probably find this to be about the same. And then the next traveler comes on, asks what the town is like. What was the town you're from like? And he's oh, just wonderful people. Just fantastic. Blah, blah. You'll probably find this town to be the same. So mm-hmm. sometimes <laughs> you're just a wherever, wherever you go, there you are. I think it's the saying, right? That's that's the Buddhist summation of it. But um, yeah, I don't know. I actually am feeling like I would like a little bit more understanding of where I'd like to end up in terms of where I'd like to live. I've lived in Washington, D.C. area for a very long period of time, and I'm very attached to my church here. Mm -hmm. But I don't entirely see this being a place that I would live if I didn't have that strong work relationship. I would always want to I don't know. I, I am very attached to my church, so that might that might keep me here forever. But I wish I understood where I'd like to go. And having been raised out west, the places I lived aren't exactly great now um you know either politically or they've just gotten so big and so i i'm trying to figure out where we'll where we will spend our retiring years if we're blessed with those well i think covid and and the remote work thing has really changed moving patterns i don't know if this is right i haven't seen any you know study on it but i just feel like i you know I know more people who are willing to move away from the places they felt attached to as far as work goes, myself included, even though I live in an undisclosed location, would be um, 
would be that they could live now and it's easier to work remotely and it's more acceptable in many places. I don't think it's good for every kind of job, but certainly if you're a writer or if you do something that you can do in an office at home, it seems like seems like a pretty good option for people so they can live in more affordable places so they can be among people who are more you know in tune with them politically and perhaps culturally and religiously and things like that so and that, that is probably a good thing that's happened because of covid right i think so i think it's yeah. great i i actually just think people should try oh actually i bet you're going to disagree with this okay kind of think people should try to stay where they are and make their own communities flourish and stay close to family. I think having strong, tight families is good for the country. And so we've had a lot of people move. And I, of course, come from people who move. I moved 2,000 miles away from my family for career reasons. Um, But when I had kids, that was hard because I had no family around and it was hard to take care of them without any support, you know. So this is like the big conservative debate, whether you should just flee when job prospects get difficult or whether you should try to make things work or whether people in charge should make it so that people don't have to leave where they're from. It's quite interesting because I was just talking about this with someone in my family. When I grew up, I never thought I'd move. Everyone I knew lived near their family, right? Everyone would visit their parents on the weekend. It was a nice sense of community. Everyone knew you can leave your kids with your your parents, you know, things like that. Um, but I did move obviously for, for work, but, uh, so that was a nice sense of community, but it places become like where I grew up too expensive to really start your life in, in, you know, in any sort of realistic way. Cause you can't afford a house there or there are, you know, there aren't enough jobs. You have to move. If there are places in the Midwest where <laughs> creative destruction has destroyed an industry, it's not going to come back. You're probably going to have to move. And America's always been about moving. I'm sure that your people moved, you know, from East to West at some point to get to California or to Colorado. So, um, you know, so I just think it, it depends on the, on the situation. And so I'm not instinctively against moving. I think moving can be a very good thing. It just depends. Yeah. Yeah. Well, wherever you go, be a lover of freedom and anxious for the fray. Is that a good one? <laughs> Nicely done. Thank you very much. I just, oh, wait, and don't forget, affirmation. To people, don't forget to tell people to email us. I forget the address, though. We radio, love yeah. these emails. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Please email us at radio at the Uh We love to hear from you. Lots of interesting suggestions and uh, insults sometimes, but just generally positive if it's aimed at Molly. <laughs> Slightly more negative aimed at me, but we love to hear from you. And we'll talk to you next week. 